And welcome to episode 55 of the Brood Sages, Stormbound players with a head for the game. I am Freeloader. And with me, as always, are Subaiku and Thomas. Subaiku, how's it going tonight? Fantastic. And Thomas, I know you're under the weather, but anyway, how are you doing? Pretty all right. <laughs> for those of you who can't tell, um, yet again, one of the members of the Brood Sages is off on vacation. Uh, and so we have asked yet again the one, the only, Reckless Rush to join in. Um, and thank you, Reckless, for being part of it tonight. No worries. Thank you for inviting me. Anytime you're available, my friend. We are the Brood Sages, easily the second best Stormbound related podcast in production. And as a reminder, you can always follow us at Brood Sages on Twitter. Or for all of you who aren't sure you're ready for a Top Gun sequel, our email address is thebroodsages at gmail.com. Guys, we have a ton of stuff tonight. This is going to be a long episode. We're going to do the best we can with it. But my goodness, is there a ton of information? We'll start with our community news. There is an SWCC recap that needs to happen. Sabaiku, what's going on? Week 11 just finished, yes? Week 11 had the theme of dual types. Mm. And the winner was Big Enemy 000 with Feathered Cavaliers, a Raven Knight unit. Mm. So uh, slot that one right into Winter Eve. Oh no, don't even say it. <laughs> don't even say it. It's a seven mana, eight to 15th strength card as you level it up. So uh, definitely a, a big boy with no movement. On play, spawn one token Raven with three to five strength and increase the token spawned by one for each knight in your hand, which is a great idea. I love that it, it plays with the other knights in your hand, so it incentivizes you to add more knights to your deck, because uh, right now there's not a lot of reason to put them in. Oh, this is actually... I. So we've played several other games that have uh, interactions with what's in your hand at the time, and I've always found those to be quite fun. Reckless, have you ever played a game where... Uh, like? you know, whatever's in your hand impacts either the strength or the ability of cards that you play? Um, Not necessarily, but more so I like fast cycle decks. So, I mean, mm. pirates in general, I really love the thematic behind pirates. The only issue I have with pirates are that most of them just aren't good enough to play altogether. But if there was ever a time where pirates were, you know, meta... I would definitely catch on to that. I think pirates and cycling is just so much fun because you get, especially with like North Sea, playing North Sea as a final card in your hand, that's so much value if you can pull it off. And I have done a couple rush decks with it before. So yeah, it's definitely, definitely can see play, but it's just difficult to pull off. For sure. All right. Uh, so congrats to Big Enemy 000. zero, zero. Uh, and also good choice not going for 007 for your numbers. That's a, uh, it's a little overdone at this point. Uh, moving on from there, we need our, uh, <laughs> our per, per, a per episode reminder about Toad Games. And unfortunately, Thomas isn't here to be totally confused by it. Um, Reckless, given the fact that you dominate this, I'm assuming you can actually tell us uh, uh, how to play the Toad Games. But week 24 just wrapped up. Uh, average of 6.2 games per active player. Uh, what else happened? Um, the winner for this week was Illegal Bacon, also known as Oxy Oxymoronic on Discord, with 1,600 gold won and 2,000 and 2,000 more for first place. And on top of that, 500 more for most games played during that week. Holy smoke. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. I just want to make sure that we've... He won 4,100 gold. Is that correct? Yeah. In a did. span of three days, yes. <laughs> That's insane. How do you even... What? Best That's... bang for your buck. That's better than even going uh, to six wins in all three of your drafts. That's crazy. 4,100 gold. Um, also, by the way, if your name is Oxymoronic uh, and you're looking for an alternate name for Oxymoronic, Illegal Bacon it has to be it, right? Like, like as far as I'm concerned, bacon needs to be on everything. So Illegal Bacon sounds like an Oxymoronic kind of thing anyway. So awesome names, dude. Uh, and wow, hats off. 4,100 gold total domination uh reckless do you think you can beat 4100 gold in a in a week of uh, toad games actually I, I believe this is the highest or definitely one of the highest records because i actually 
don't think I have beaten this record before, if I'm if I'm correct. Mostly because also this five hundred dollar participation bonus has is more recent. It's a more recent mm. um, improvement to the Toad games as a whole. So you can definitely get a lot more gold nowadays um, from Toad game. Yeah, just by playing. Yeah, that's the one problem I have. I don't play. <laughs> I gotta fix that. Um, moving on from there, uh, there is also uh, for all of you listening, a new tournament is coming in May. Durky is the man. Talk to him. Find out what's going on. Keep your eyes and ears open. Uh, this tournament will be aimed at being friendly to new players, so you're out of excuses, really. I mean, even I'm out of excuses. We're all going to have to play it. Um, and with that out of the way, those are our community news tidbits. We're going to move on to our main topic, because as I alluded to already, uh, it's going to be long. We have patch notes for May. There's buffs, nerfs, and burfs. And uh, let's start, Sabaiku, with uh, Demotivating Strike. What's going on? Our first burf on the list, Demotivating Strike, costs three mana, down from four, and the ability it deals now less damage by one per level, so it goes two, three, four, five, six. Uh, you know, as far as it goes, anytime the mana goes down, even if the damage goes down, it's we call it a burf, but uh, it's really a buff. Like, this now goes from very difficult to fit into a deck to something you could slot into a control deck if you're if you're playing really greedy and you do need something to disable on death effects or elders or even uh ancients with a before moving effect and this is actually a, a pretty uh niche card but one that you could make use of in a slower deck like that so reckless we originally when we saw demotivating strike we talked about how it was so similar to execution um but it didn't do the same amount of damage as execution right it did three four five six seven instead of uh, topping out at eight like execution so it was the same mana cost but you had a one damage reduction because of the silence effect do we now feel like it's properly statted? So sitting at three mana, there's a lot more playability. I mean, I actually really like this change. I think this is definitely the kind of card you want to see if you're trying to run a control deck. At four mana, with the stats like you were mentioning, comparable to execution, it was just a worse execution, which all execution is already not the greatest card to play. So the motivating strike here, sitting at three mana, I really think this is a much better improvement. Um, I think it is overall well-rounded for decks that need that extra bit of control. Yeah, now at three mana, the comparison that you kind of have to make is confinement. And like confinement is a better way to answer an elder than demotivating Correct. strike is. But with so many ancients being added to the game and uh, those effects taking place before moving as opposed to after taking damage right like confinement doesn't remove those i, I don't know if, if those uh, if those ancients become popular this might actually start to see some play so that's my big question in all of this um on death effects in this game in my mind in my opinion are weaker than on play effects the on play effects in this game are very very powerful um silence doesn't counter those it doesn't help you against those the on death effects some of them are decent but none of them feel quite as strong. And the now on move effects from Ancients, um, do we feel like any of them are so powerful that they need to be countered? Oh, we'll get there. Oh, okay. So a little bit of foreshadowing. Well, in that case, <clears throat> Reckless, what's going on with Underground Spring? So the devs decided that Underground Spring isn't really seeing enough play, so they actually are giving it a buff. From now on, it can the ability can now give up to three health to your base. Three health. So that's like a, a, a complete Ubis counter. Yeah, you could definitely see it like that. I mean, I play a lot of Ubis, so I think in threes in general. Sabaiku, so do, do we think like Underground Spring, I, I feel like there was already a winter deck out there that saw like Ulf and Underground Springs and, and basically attritioned you to concede. Yeah, they get a little bit more effective now, right? The The problem is that you had Underground Springs kind of uh, ticking your life total up, but at two per turn, it just wasn't quite enough. And you needed to recover from playing Underground Springs. <laughs> <laughs> so you really needed it to work to last until you got to nine mana. You get to Gift of the Wise and Ulf and uh, kind of stabilize the board. 
at, at three per turn, it, it does leave the board a little more quickly, right? Because it also does self-damage as it heals you. But uh, that that's a big chunk of life. And I think the the increased rate of healing will actually help it out. I think it was pretty playable before, maybe borderline, but uh, this pushes it up into if you have the right deck for it, it'll be strong. The other thing to remember, it is 10 strength when you play it, unlike all of the other towers. Like this is just something you can stick on the board and it's very difficult for your opponent to get rid of. You both are forgetting the most important thing. That one player out there who's insistent that Mischiefs alone is a win condition has now been completely nerfed. Mischiefs will no longer win the game. Right. Well, neither will overchargers at this point. Well, good point. Yeah. Yeah. They see. It. Look, uh, if you think you you made the uh, comparison to Ubis before, uh-huh. did you ever play Ubis at a high level at level four? You assume I'm capable of playing at a high level, but the answer is I, I did. <laughs> and it was so ineffective uh, playing Ubis at level four. It was like laughably bad. The the change from two damage to three damage for Ubis makes a, a world of difference. And I I wonder if going from two healing to three healing per turn will have a similar effect for Underground Springs. Hmm. The way I see it is this buff basically just gets the job done faster because Underground Spring is the whole point of the card is to basically give health to your base and this gets the job done faster. So, I mean, this could definitely be a big change for control decks, even in those very tight situations where you really need that health back as soon as possible. This will definitely be a big game changer. So the one thing that I will say, uh, I have loved playing control decks in other games that um, had fatigue as a win condition, right? Like my, go- my, my, my job is to just deny you the ability to do whatever you are trying to do and outlast you until you run out of resources. And at that point, I win. This game doesn't allow that, right? Everybody just constantly cycles their cards. So what is the quote-unquote fatigue win condition for a control deck? Because that's what Underground Springs to me feels like it's trying to do. It's trying to help you outlast your opponent. But in this game, outlast to what? Well, you probably outlast to the point where you either through using Gift of the Wise or naturally come to 24 mana and then you just jam Siren and Ulf into their base and you win. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, Mike, I think you got it wrong. I think there's one more win condition you, you didn't actually mention here, and that is outlasting your opponent's mental game. You just have to give yourself <laughs> 400 base health and then they'll finally hit that concede button. And that's the easiest way to win. It's only going to take six or seven hours. I, I think we need some sort of like new winter legendary that deals 50% damage to your face to your base, right? Like deal 50% of your damage, lose lose half your life and deal that as damage to your opponent. So you get to 40 life and then you just slam that puppy down <laughs> and boom, you can OTK them. It only takes until like mana 60, but you get there. Uh, Subaiku, Blessed with Brawn is getting changed. Got another berf for Blessed with Brawn moving from six mana down to five mana and the ability instead of ranging from 8 to 18 strength of a gain uh, on the unit, now goes from 6 to 15. So uh, a little less of a strength buff, but one less mana. And I think that this is going to be everywhere next month. Uh, I think that this change makes the card really, really strong. I think it was already in an okay place. Um Brajoja said that on Discord that the win rate was not very good for Blessed with Brawn, which makes me wonder how terribly people are playing with it. Uh, <laughs> because I, it already was such a massive strength buff and so hard to deal with in a rush deck. Uh, putting it down on five mana after your Shivana turn seems like it's going to be uncounterable. Hmm. Well, if only we had some sort of rush aggressive player kind of expert around to talk oh hey reckless oh wow what do you think about blessed with brawn now costing five mana i think this is going to be this is going to be such a disaster um every time i play pick up winter and actually play winter it's the same time that brazoza just randomly buffs my cards like i was playing wolf cloak before the buff and they buffed it now i'm playing blessed with brawn rush now they're buffing that card too um i 
think Bosworth Braun already was in a pretty decent state to to be fair. I was actually playing with it quite a bit uh this month and the last month. And the way I see it is you drop this on a unit at the enemy base and you basically win the game. Um I was actually even coaching someone playing Bosworth Braun at one point and that's literally how the games went. You just play this card on an, on a unit that's really close to the base and you just win. Now at five mana, this is huge because not only are you no, no longer competing for that six mana mark between Wolf Cloaks and Bust with Brawn, you could actually Bust with Brawn one turn earlier, Wolf Cloaks the next turn, and you just win the game. There's, yeah, there's like jokes crazy. on you because I've played Underground Springs on mana turn four, so I'm at base health 23 at this point. That, that's fair, that's fair. But what if I pulled out <laughs> Temple of the Heart? Oh no! Nice. Now, no, you gotta, I'm not even sure what happens. No, you you did mention Underground Springs. If Underground Springs is a viable card at four mana, mm-hmm. and you do put Blessed with Brawn on it on five, and then can recover the board from that Wait, state, can you? It, it's eight. It's eight health. Yes, yes, you can do it. There's a quick way to end the game. There actually, it's just uh, pressing the concede button. I think after that, <laughs> top right, baby. <laughs> So you could definitely drastically increase your strength gain if you do have your underground spring in in kind of like a one row off of your base, blocking your opponent a little bit. It can buy you some, it can buy you some time because it's just so large, it's so difficult to get rid of. And then you blessed with Brawn it anyway. Your opponent can't do anything about it, but they can't attack in an understrained manner. It it actually really could snowball the game for you in a control deck, not even in a rush deck like we were talking about. I don't know. I, I think Reckless is onto something though with with a blessed with Brawn rush deck, especially. I have felt that Wolf Cloaks is kind of like the premier runner right now. It just does so much damage when it's dropped on six. Um, if you played this on five, to Reckless's point, oof. And, and and on five, by the way, I don't know what you've been playing up to that point, but it's all a target because Bless with Brawn needs to have eight strength or less on the unit or structure it's targeting. And I don't know what you played on one through four, but I guarantee you it doesn't have eight strength or less or more. So yeah. everything's a target. Everything is a threat when you're yeah. playing Blessed with the Brawn. The only concern is, oh no, my Mistwives got untouched <laughs> on the board, so I can't play Breast of Brawn. I think somehow you'll do okay in that game. You know, that's right. Actually, now that I think about it, one really funny control variation could be like uh, zero, sorry, grade the balancer on mana four, destroying one of their units, and then you end up Blessed with Brawn if you're lucky on on gray and then the enemy the best play the enemy has is just not playing any units so that it kills itself and that gives you actually a lot of time to to build up your mana for your higher mana cards oh my gosh that is disgusting i so 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 your opponent opens on three mana you play gray your opponent's like i can't do anything i've just gotta kind of sit tight this turn because i don't want to waste the cards in my hand and then you respond by putting blessed with brawn on that thing that thing is never dying and it is clearing not necessarily oh. true because it can kill itself. So the best response to this play would be just not playing any units and making Gray kill itself, if possible. Gray won't kill itself. There's already a unit on the board. You played it on turn one. That is actually I didn't map out that part. That is true. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to say about that. Your <laughs> best response to that is to then on your four mana turn as a response to Gray play Azure Hatcher. It can keep killing some Toads. You don't that's really true. care. You still but keep gray your is so big, you're gonna die from the gray. Oh, that's so that's so far down the road. Uh, that gives you like three whole turns to get twenty damage, and you can do that. I'm not. I'm not feeling this. No. In terms of the macros perspective, I think we're definitely going to expect confinement. Uh, seeing a lot more play. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that Sheepyard's decision on silence doesn't remove buffs. So, like, a silence doesn't undo Pog or undo well, remember, with it's, it's not called silence. It's called disable. Okay, fair. Right? We, we, you, we have been using that term as shorthand, but right, right, right. stoic nope, right. and right. demotivating strike both say disable, so it removes any further activities, but it does not remove what's already been done. That's a really, really good point. All right, let's move on from Blessed with Brawn to uh, Reckless. Emerald Towers is yet another structure seeing some activity. 
So Emerald Towers, it's actually getting a buff on level 4 and level 5 where it now gets plus 1 ability on those. So now from Emerald Towers, it can actually even give up to 5 strength as a buff to whatever's in front, any units in front of it. Sorry, friendly units in front of it. Um, I don't think this is going to be such a massive change. I mean, it's compared, the only, the way I see it is Emerald Tower, Towers is great with Shadowfen, like Toad Spam which already does more than well enough with Jess Bragda, which is almost like an on-play effect if you can pull it off in that turn. So Emerald Tower is taking one turn longer to, to proc. I, I don't know if I really think this will be a big change. Well, Emerald Towers does cost only four mana compared to Bragda six, and there's certainly a world in which a four mana buffing effect that happens in turn later is a good idea. That's but uh, Emerald Towers being confined to just one column isn't really so great. That's that's kind of where I'm at with this, right? Like when I think of of factions that want to use towers to buff their units, I think of uh, I, well, I think of Swarm with Moonlit Airy, and Moonlit Airy doesn't care, right? Wherever the Seder is, it's getting buffed. And I think of Winter with the Hearth, and again, Winter with the Hearth. The hearth doesn't care where it is. It's also cheaper. You're thinking about wrong way. You got to think about things that synergize with a column. And you were close when you said swarm, right? Zuri wants to work in a column. Emerald Towers wants to work with a column. And Temple of Focus wants to work with a column. That's what column we're gonna meta? do. Yep, we're gonna column meta. We're gonna do Blame a nice screen? synergistic Emerald Towers temp, uh, Temple of Focus deck, where the whole goal is to buff up the units and push them into the base. It, it, see. In general, when I think of towers like this, I think Mia, but upgrade point is so much cheaper. I don't know. I, I, I feel like Emerald Towers is just in a weird spot. It is more restrictive than what the faction set. Well, two of the, well, three. Uh, do you feel like being in a column and having to be in front uh, is more restrictive than upgrade point. I think it is more restrictive than upgrade point. Most definitely. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So it's more expensive and more restrictive than upgrade point, the hearth, and moonlit airy. Gosh. No, moonlit airy requires a, a unit type restriction. The hearth only buffs one unit. Emerald Towers will buff up to four, I guess, technically. Sure. Though it doesn't seem that likely, it is possible. Uh, so the restriction does give you uh, is something, but it's just it's way too expensive at four mana. I'm looking for something at four mana that can buff more than just a couple units in front of it. Yeah, I agree. All right, Sabaiku, um, this is the one that everyone's been talking about, so I thought I would give it to you. Um, I hear that Broodmother Cordia is seeing a change. My baby... So Broodmother's Cordia Strength is going down. Right now it's 5, 6, 7, 8, 10. And it's going down to 4, 5, 6, 7, 9. And then the strength of each dragon that spawns is going down also. It was 3 to 7, and now it'll range from 2 to 6. Uh, I, I do think that this is a very impactful change. It doesn't seem like a ton, just one strength for her and her hatchlings but the breakpoints now uh, are really really different like at level five nine strength does not clear your opponent's five mana unit so they play something on five like loris or ubis or harvester of souls you can't clear that with cordia's main body on top of that the whole point of cordia is to try to get those eggs to spawn right they uh they spread out over the board it's hard for your opponent to deal with them all and at seven strength, when they spawn, they're very difficult to handle. At six strength, they can be cleared up by Destructobot, Sparkly Kitty, Hunter's Vengeance, uh, Scrap Planners, even after it survived a trade, Dark Harvest. Like Now, all of a sudden, people aren't going to be worried. They'll say, oh, the spawns are hatched. That's fine. I can just Toxic Sacrifice something and get rid of them all. Uh, so I think because her previous strength at 10 and at 7 were so good at uh, breakpoints for avoiding AoE and for uh, dealing with 5 strength, uh, five mana units, I think that she's actually going to see a lot less play from this and deservedly so. So I think you actually almost hit the nail on the head. 
Um, I'm not worried about losing a dragon. So Sparkly Kitties doesn't scare me. I'm not worried about getting a trade from, you know, West Wind Sailors or whatever. Dark Harvest? Holy smokes, is that now scary? Void Surgers. Void Surgers clears all of it. And that's a big yikes. Well, you got to remember, too, a lot of the time, your opponent is clearing one or two of the eggs. They're doing what they can to prevent the eggs from spawning. So if there's only one egg that actually makes it and it just gets cleared by Destructobots, your your opponent has a cheap answer. And now all of a sudden you're just, you're so far behind on board. So the funny thing is, uh, and Reckless, I'll ask you this. Um, the main body on Cordia never trades into a 10 strength. In my, my experience, I'm always clearing something weaker anyway so so the cordia main body getting reduced really eh, i mean sure it's it's a nerf but i wasn't i was very very rarely trading cordia into a full healthy 10 strength my opponent played an ubis and then something rushed you know bumped into it at the start of the turn or loris never got a clean trade so loris is no longer 10 it's now seven or whatever so because of that, the main body getting reduced wasn't, to me, that big of a scary nerf. But as Sabaiku's pointing out, that drop from seven to six, especially when they probably cleared an egg or two, you know, as many as they could, how, how big of an impact do you think this is going to be? I think the main body strength, like you mentioned, is it's like kind of iffy. I mean... It's definitely not the main portion of what makes Cordia strong. What makes Cordia strong is her eggs and when they hatch. And they obviously reduce that. So that's obviously a bigger hit. And then on top of that, they just added an additional nerf of her, her actual core strength. Um, the way I see it is Cordia. So Cordia is an interesting card. I don't actually see it too much in the higher ranks. Um, according to the developers, I believe they mentioned how there is a fair bit of play across all ranks. So that's what... I'd have made them want to nerf this card. However, I also think there's this underlying issue of draft between balancing both draft and ranked. Cordia mm. has been dominating the boards with draft. I, I play a lot of draft. I actually have multiple accounts, so I play a lot of draft. And I see Cordia so, so often. I see Shadowfin so, so often. And when I see these cards, it's also very hard to, to deal with when you actually don't have the appropriate cards to, to handle the eggs. And then when you have to deal with, with the hatchlings, well, you're out of luck. You're probably going to lose. Um, so it's, I don't know, I found it like a really awkward state to balance both between ranked and draft. I think in ranked, it was all, it was just a, maybe just a little too strong, maybe a little strong, but I don't think it was like necessary to nerf it that hard. But for draft, yeah, uh, it's kind of necessary. So this is an interesting idea. So thank you. Do you think that we've hit the point where draft is becoming so much of a mainstream mode for this game that balancing decisions need to take into account draft as, you know, a criteria? Not not right now. No, I don't think that draft should be a factor in balancing cards that are played a lot on ladder. Um if if draft were available every day of the week instead of just a subset of the week maybe i don't have the numbers on how popular draft is obviously but i do definitely see that queue times are up on monday and tuesday the first couple days of draft it's hard to find a match in the heroes league uh so people are obviously playing it but it to me it's a part-time mode and, and you can't balance around a part-time mode uh, my I see. So, so you're suggesting that they make it a full-time mode. I am suggesting <laughs> that in the current state, it should not be a consideration. Okay. Uh, yeah, on on ladder, I can't remember the last time I ran into a shadow deck, a shadow pen deck without Cordia in it. Like she is everywhere because she's such a flexible card, right? Like you can play her offensively, you can play her defensively, you can play her to clog up the board. Uh, it's she's very flexible and because of that she's everywhere and i think that that's probably what's driving this change more than anything else it's interesting you say that because i do feel like 
ubiquity is a pretty high criteria for sheepyard. They, they, they tend to target cards that maybe aren't even always overpowered so much as they are being overplayed. And they make changes to them to disincentivize people from playing them as often as they are. In this case, I, I do agree with you that Cordia is super flexible and therefore she is played all the time. I'm not sure. I'm unconvinced that Cordia is really the problem with the overplay rate of Shadowfen. Um, I feel kind of like it's Bragda in some ways, or maybe even Rain. I don't know. Reckless, what do you think? So um, I will give my personal opinion here. I have been a long time hater of Bragda as a whole. I think this card can like come severely change the meta in a direction that a lot of people don't like to play the game i think it's kind of like this boring card and then like it's really annoying to play against and it probably is boring to quite a few people that have to play it because it's just that powerful wind combo with rain of frogs mm -hmm. now bragda is on its own not a very strong card you don't really see it in like winter decks you don't see it in swarm decks you don't really see it in ironclad decks it's just shadow fan because of rain of frogs i actually took a step back to look at why exactly am i really that annoyed with this kind of deck and like you were mentioning here i think the important consideration is in fact reign of frogs i mean even right now i would say that the best rush deck is shadowfen and that's because of reign of frogs you have reign of frogs you have butchers and you know it's just such a weird game to play when both players are playing reign of frogs as well because then there's like this super odd factor of if someone has the butchers or if someone has the the Klaxi by any chance and you know it's kind of strange but just this whole spam units idea it's really powerful and Shadowfen is the best faction for doing that and I think that is like a very big reason why it's such a dominant faction yeah I mean Subaiku there is this whole idea of there's only 20 cells on the board right there's 20 squares four by five and Reign of Frogs takes up six of them so for two mana you you're not putting more health than you would be with say head start but you're taking up a whole bunch of the board yeah look we have seen in this game for sure that area of effect damage doesn't get played a ton because it's mostly useless and instead your opponent is just playing a lot of units of reasonable strength around the board uh, but you know the strength that is still at equivalent levels more than bladestorm so bladestorm doesn't do anything so people are just not equipped to handle that kind of uh unit distrib distribution across the board like you said mm -hmm. um brozo has already hinted that there's a nerf potentially coming for rain how do we feel about that do we think that that's right do we think bragda is not really the issue but rain is i will say my point of view on rain is not that I think that Reign of Frogs is too good. It's just that the cards that take advantage of it and synergize with it uh, create really, really powerful combos. Right, uh, Reckless, you, you hit them all right on the head with Obsidian Butchers, Bragda, and Klaxi. They, they all can just enable you to uh, put the game away with just one combination because you're distributing strength across the board or just putting uh in the case of obsidian butchers just putting a ton of damage into your opponent's base um those strong combos are definitely warping the meta i i think at least um i do see a lot of shadowfen on ladder in the heroes league a lot of my matchups are shadowfen versus shadowfen because i've been playing almost exclusively a bragda deck this month um so if you're trying to hit the play rate of Shadowfen because you feel it's out of line with the other factions, Reign of Frogs is unfortunately the place to start. Well, it's not just that. Um, I believe Thomas has put together a list of all of the winning factions from every single Heroes League uh, season, correct? Yeah, I did that. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> what, what, what faction is leading? Shadowfen does have the most number one decks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. they all hmm. do they all do include reign of frogs that is true imagine that every single one of them because even even in a situation where you don't have the combo in hand but you have reign of frogs reign of frogs is just so good on its own to clog up the board as we've said uh six out of 20 is a big impact 
on the board, and the board is an important part of this game in terms of play. Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of the cards that you play to combo with Rain of Frogs, you don't actually play on their own. Rain is the only part of the combo that can stand alone. Correct, correct. Um, so let's bring this conversation full circle and close it off. Cordia is getting a nerf because Cordia herself is fairly powerful. She was a 10 strength. She's no longer. Her eggs, again, for six mana, you are taking up four of the 20 cells on the board. Uh, do we feel like the the overpoweredness of Shadowfen with Cordia being reduced and then potentially rain this coming season as well? Do we feel like Shadowfen is going to be in a fairer state? Or do we feel like Shadowfen is being basically blasted into oblivion? It depends on the Reign of Frogs change, but we it is definitely game-changing if they do decide to change that card. Mm. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I think even Cordia is game-changing, but I think Bragda decks will survive. Not all of them ran Cordia, but a lot of them did uh, just because, again, like I talked about before, distributed strength around the board is so important. It's helpful. You do it, you know, most most factions do it with just multiple small mana cost units. Uh, Shadowfin has the advantage of Rain and Cordia and uh, Azure Hashner, although Azure, Azure definitely sees less play than those other two. Um, expensive. You know, so just anything that that hits that really hits Shadowfen in its strength. And I think that, uh, yeah, it would definitely change the meta a lot. All right. Well, let's keep an eye on that since, uh, you know, even Reckless at this point, apparently. Base L13 uh, made it to Heroes League with a Shadowfen rush deck. So we're all Shadowfen mains here. <laughs> even even Reckless Rush. Um Moving on from there, we do have three new cards. Uh, they are all neutral epics. They're all ancients. Uh, Reckless, give me the first one. On May 15th, we're going to see a new card. What is this? The new card is Big Sisters of Growth. It's going to be four mana with strength four, five, six, seven, eight. Uh, from standard? levels one to five. Yep, okay. standard for four mana cards. Zero movement. And then Uh-oh. this is where it gets interesting. Before moving, vitalize itself. And then give one, two, two, three, three strength to weaker friendly units. So it, mini Bragda. So this is also just going back to what we were just talking about, the Reign of Frogs issue. This is just another card that synergizes really well with Reign of Frogs. You play this, you play Reign of Frogs. Each of those frogs have a chance to get plus three strength um, at the start of your turn. This is like a way better uh, Emerald Towers here. So what do you guys think about it? Yeah, um, I'm with you on this. I'm going to try to play this in Shadowfen as much as I can. You know, if you're going first, turn one, green prototypes into Reign of Frogs. Your opponent obviously is not going to be able to clear all of that. You stick the big sisters of growth behind it. Whatever lives, get to buff. You take over the board in the mid game that way. And then all of a sudden, just the big sister sticks and continues to grow your board as you march down. I think she's got a, a real future in Shadowfen decks for sure. Um, yeah. I, I think that there's a swarm deck out there that would love to go second, put Big Sisters of Growth down, and then on turn on uh, mana turn five, Doppelbox and Forgotten Souls, right? Like push her up, she busts the Doppelbox spawn, she busts the Forgotten Souls, and now all of a sudden, boom, you have a big board that you can leverage into uh you know, bucks of wasteland buffs and forgotten souls come back around to it and win the game. It's it, there's there's definitely uh, a world where she has a big a big impact on the meta. I have to tell you, I had not contemplated going second, playing her naked, and then doppel box forgotten souls. And now that you've mentioned that, I am really disgusted. <laughs> it's just such an insane power opener, yeah, especially if you card. drop bucks on six. What the hell? That's insane. Um, wow. In general, I, my, my knee-jerk reaction to it from the get-go is mini Bragda. This belongs in a Reign of Frogs deck. Uh, is that not better in, in Swarm? No, it's better in Shadowfen. It is better in Shadowfen. Yeah, it is better right? in Shadowfen. <laughs> <laughs> but so, you know, so what at we're least saying is... it, there might be a viable Swarm deck out there that uses her. But just like Bragda, 
she's going to be uh, something that you really want to stick, not in every Shadowfen deck, but in a specific kind of Shadowfen deck. So the nice thing is she doesn't actually have movement. So there is counterplay, right? Like if she becomes a dominant force in the meta, the counter is Beast of Terror, right? You just she, you 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 play Rain, you play this, your opponent plays Beast of Terror, and and there's at least some counterplay to it. Right. Which I mean, look, the reason somewhat better. The reason you don't play Beast of Terror against Bragda is because eventually they get the combination where they play Rain and Bragda on the same turn, and your Beast of Terror just don't do enough at that point. Correct. Here, They're useless. Yeah, Beast will always do something, um, mm-hmm. and it's you know not great, but at least it's something that you can do. No, but I look at this and I think if Bragda, like if Sheepyard had control of the game back when when the Elders were being introduced. This kind of, if this was what Bragda was, there's counterplay. I like the fact that there's no initial movement because I can react. I see what you're trying to do. I can hopefully, you know, find something in my hand that allows me to make your next turn more difficult. Whereas to your point, eight mana plus, you play Rain Bragda. What am I going to do at that point? And, you know, the last couple of months, we've been seeing uh, aggressive swarm decks with Pan Heralds in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is, she's basically the equivalent of getting one buff on Pan Heralds if she lives a turn. Like, that's, that's pretty good. Well, I think it's, it's also, look I think at it's, it in turn, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I think it's really, I think we should always consider the fact that Ancients can typically do better with swarm because of the command forward effect that swarm has but it's kind of funny at the same time looking at this how we're contemplating that okay shadowfin is just better with this despite the fact swarm has that leverage over it correct no you're absolutely right but it's also really interesting because we were talking about emerald towers at four mana and how the regionality constraint I don't know what you want to talk about, like because it's not, it's not, it doesn't have to be surrounding, but it has to be in a specific space. So Emerald Towers will provide not this turn, but next turn, some reward for playing it on four. Uh, Big Sisters of Growth will do the same thing, but it will do it anywhere. And you see, as, just, yeah. as long as the units are weaker, but most of your units are going to be weaker than eight strength, especially you know, early on in the game. Early Perfect. on in the game, I I, I challenge you, Subaiku, send me a deck list, a viable Heroes League deck list where 50% of the units in it are not f- under 8 health. Challenge The accepted. fact of the matter is most decks, most decks that you're going to play in the Heroes League are aggressive enough that half the cards in it are 8 health or less. I agree. Chances are, chances are very good that she'll be able to be put into most Heroes League decks, but she will shine in Shadowfen and Swarm, I think. 100% agreed. All right, moving on from there, Savaiku, on the 22nd of May, we're going to see Agile Warriors. Agile Warriors, four mana, two, three, four, five, six strength with one movement. Ooh, weak. Oh, so weak for four mana, yeah. Before mm-hmm. moving, deal one 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 two two damage to a random bordering enemy unit for each friendly unit. If that unit dies, move toward its tile instead. So there's a lot going on here. It wants you to have board spam because it will do more damage for the more units you have on board. If it if it is bordering an enemy when it moves, so definitely when you're playing it chances are really good you're going to be playing it in a situation where it is bordering an opponent's unit uh and then maybe you can set that up again so it will always move toward the tile of the unit that it kills and that lets it move side to side and bounce around the board like toad does but it also lets it good well it also has one thing that it can do that no other unit in the game can if the only unit bordering it is behind it it will attack backward and move backward i'm sorry but i just had a little laugh in my head i'm like imagining this card moving all across the board like left right up down because it can reprog itself if i'm correct in that yes but it can't technically do it the way i saw it um because i i believe that most it could only trigger four times no so 
I I think you're thinking of it like a crazy bombers like effect where it distributes that two damage around. My understanding is that it is a single attack where it is one to two damage multiplied by the number of friendly units on the board. So if you have three other units on oh. the board, it's just going to do six damage to one random bordering enemy unit. Yeah. Yeah, I got that, but I was referring to the fact that it says move towards this tile. Wouldn't that change in direction, force it to work again before moving no, again? No, no, it doesn't re-trigger. It, it doesn't it's, re-trigger. It doesn't re-trigger because it only moves in a different direction if the unit that was occupying that tile dies. Okay, interesting. So now I got that all wrong in my head. But it, So yeah, it doesn't dance around the board, <laughs> unfortunately. It needs multiple turns to do that, uh, but it's still got the opportunity to move backward or move side to side this actually could be really good if forgotten souls though it, it looks kind of funny you can like play it the forgotten souls and it like double clears the two units bordering each other that's a good point that's a very good point although that's a seven mana combo at that point you should be winning the game if you're playing swarm <laughs> um you know we talked about reign of frogs already we can bring it up here too right you reign and you get six toads on the board and then you play this and it's going to do 12 damage to something before it attacks it with its six strength like that's that's quite the large unit clear for four mana it is i think it's interesting that uh prior to this most of our ancient synergies have required other ancients right uh like you drain your opponent's base health based on the number of ancients on the board or uh, whatever whereas these ones are just any units i mean granted there's a health constraint with uh big sisters of growth um but i think it's interesting that these are any units on the board and yeah that that does open up the toad spam abuse uh which you know maybe is why sheepyard is considering getting uh, a reign of frogs and giving it a little bit of a of a nerf because is it getting in the way of design space like these cards look really fun and interesting but immediately our mind goes to oh god with reign of frogs this is busted is it the right thing to do to to look at reign of frogs and say this is just getting in the way of making really cool and fun and interactive cards hmm yeah it might be no it's true that might be where it's going um also by nerfing rain um you know you made a really good point that these cards just work with units on the board, not ancients on the board. Mm. If rain gets hit, does that open up then the design space for the other ancients to get buffed to just work with other units on the oh. board, right? So martyr sponges could just drain from units and not from ancients, like maybe. Maybe that would be nuts. It's just such a. It's like a weird change in direction they're going here, because like you mentioned, they already had ancients that triggered and synergized with other ancients and then these ancients that just synergize with any units so it's kind of strange to see that but you mentioning like oh martyr sponges might get buffed i don't think the reign of frogs change would affect that at all because reign of frogs can't be played in swarm unless you're playing like rogue sheep or something but i don't new think meta that was... new meta deck right there <laughs> we got it oh good point good point and to your point reckless the neutral ancients that we have none of them require other ancients to work um, it's really it's really only the faction ones, right? Absorbing Varmint and Plague Monarchs and Martyr Sponges. That is a fair point. You pronounce those fantastically. I find each of them very difficult to say, so I'm, I'm in awe. Well, I have lots uh, of practice because I play them all the time. <laughs> Reckless. On the 29th of May, so right at the end of the month, we are going to see a third new ancient. What is this card? This is my favorite out of these out of this bunch. It's Timber Alchemist, two mana, one, one, two, two, three strength with one movement. And at first you guys are probably like, this card is trash. This is worse worse than gifted recruits. But before moving, steal all status effects from all friendly units and gain one, two, two, three, three strength for each unique status effect received. So in other words, if you are able to play this card at the same turn that you have a status effect on one of your friendly units on board, this becomes a 2-mana 6-strength at level 5. It's just a 1-up on the Gifted Recruits in that case. Oh my god, it's going down. I'm yelling Timber, Alchemist. All right, bad Shakira joke. I, or, no, not Shakira, <laughs> Kasha joke. But uh, moving on from there, it's not all roses, though, because not only does it get the buff or nerf. listeners... Right. Be careful. It's not so it's gaining strength, yes, 
But if it's like ice flakes, guess what? This thing is now frozen. <laughs> yes, but your ice flakes are no longer frozen at that point. Well, yeah, but it's a little late. I just played it. My, so my ice flakes already didn't move because they were frozen. Oh, no, wait. It loses the freeze at that point. So I have to play this on the same turn as ice flakes in order to get the buff. Yes. Yeah, you, you know do. What I found the most interesting from this card is the fact that you can stack them. A double timber alchemist is insane. You're going to one steals it and then the other steals it from that one, and then it's like just this is pretty insane. It's mind blowing to me. Yeah, yes, so you could have you could two timber somehow... alchemists two stealing freeze from each other, and then neither one of them ever move. <laughs> That's so stupid, but it's That's hilarious. Really but they keep so getting smart. bigger. That's so smart. Right. So, oh wait, so, no, because so... it's frozen. It won't gain strength because it won't and it won't steal status. Oh wait, this isn't going to happen, huh? No, it works. It works. All right, so, but, so let's go through this. But it doesn't move because this, it's cause... on your turn. Stop. Let's think about this. Erratic, erratic <laughs> neglects are played, and erratic neglects give themselves, let's say, poison, just for the heck of it. Reckless says, I play a timber alchemist. My timber alchemist is no longer three strength. It is six strength because it's going to steal the poison from the erratic neglects. Hey, guess what? My erratic neglects are now a just one five and they no longer have poison. That feels really good. My Timber Alchemists are a two mana six strength that does have poison. That's a little unfortunate. If somehow I happen to have a second Timber Alchemist to play at this point, or I super cycle fast back before the first ones die, the second Timber Alchemist is going to steal the poison from the first one and get it, give itself a, an additional couple of uh points of health so it will also be a two mana six but at the start of my next turn the first one which has already received the buff because it stole it from erratic neglects is going to steal it from the other timber alchemist so it's going to get the buff again the same three strength additional add that it got from the first steal it's going to steal the same exact thing back it's now going to be a nine strength but then the other one moves <laughs> because, because the other one's still on the board and it moves now, instead of being a six strength, it's a nine strength because it stole it right back from the first timber. And 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 this is how we end up in um, that really weird movie uh, from with Leonardo DiCaprio. What the heck is it called? Anyone help me? Inception. 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 Yes, we've we've now hit Inception with our timber alchemists. Where <laughs> I think that the most miraculous part about that sequence of events is that your opponent did nothing the whole time. <laughs> well, right. Exactly. Uh, it, it it seems on paper like this insanely good super value play, right? And then in practice, they just play gray and you actually can't do anything for four turns and you lose because then they drop less with bronze on gray and you lose. No, I think that you are wrong and Reckless is right on this one. Uh, I, I'm definitely siding with him. He uh, this The closest comparison to Timber Alchemist that I see is Rhymelings which is effectively a two mana six strength with one movement. It's just you can't play it early on. You need to wait until you have four mana. And it used to be you had to wait until you had five mana. That's that's all that Timber Alchemist is. You can't play it on your first turn, on your three mana turn, but you play your Heliotroopers instead. And since it's relatively large for three mana, it's probably going to survive. And that lets you play as Timber Alchemist as a two mana six strength the next turn. Yeah, but that makes Soap Cleanse really bad. Soap Cleanse so, really good. I wanted to keep this a secret, but uh, I'm just too excited, honestly. I'm going to actually have such a fun time playing with this card because I'm thinking of Heliotroopers, Timber Alchemist, Soap Cleanse. And these three are going to be really disgusting. You play Heliotroopers, you play Timber, Timber steals it. You also have um, Brood Sages to spawn a bunch of Toads with that whole combination and the whole sequence. You also have Soap Cleanse to give them vit Vitalize, which... Once again, it's still a status effect, so you can just keep bouncing between these status effects. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. To be clear, I approve of any deck that runs Brood Sages. We have definitely learned, do not sleep on two mana six strength, right? Like Sparkly Kitty, yeah. no, all great. over the place, despite the fact that it has a drawback and it's a little hard to use sometimes. 
It is. No, you're right. Uh, and you're already but... running any sort of aggressive deck that wants another two mana six strength is already running erratic neglect. So there's always going to be something in there that you can steal and trigger with. Um, do we know if the status effect of I have an on move effect? So like, for example, I'm thinking um, uh, uh, the four mana one that splits into the ancient that, that makes little, you know, yeah, two bounded demons. In, bounded demon. It has that little foot icon on it. Is that a status effect? No, that's a be- that before be- moving. That's just a before moving ability. The only status effects are poison, vitality, freeze, confuse, silence. Thank you, and disabled. And can you still disabled? Yes. Oh my gosh, that's so- okay. So, radic. so the only one that you can't really steal is confusion. It kind of sucks right. to steal silence here, though, because then you end up not getting the. That's the really funny anymore. if you steal if you steal silence. Like, Maybe that's I've the point. Muted myself. Maybe demotivating strike your own unit and then play timber. And then <laughs> that's like the best synergy there. That's awesome. Um, I, I've been trying to like rack my brain on this. I don't think there's a way you can steal confusion, right? There is. If the unit is confused and frozen at the same time, then the confusion doesn't wear off. <laughs> you steal both. So you steal both and you get a nine strength, two mana timber alchemist. Just That's off, not of, true. off of the, one. The freeze, the, the freeze would go away at the start of your turn. No, you guys keep saying that, but that's not true. If timber is on the left hand side of the same row, then the timber would proc first. Ooh, oh, that's true. And so but... this whole freeze, the freeze bounce that Subaiko was mentioning earlier, it actually works because let's say you play Ice Picks to the left, then you play one timber to the right of that, it gets frozen, then you play t- another timber to the right of that. This second timber gets frozen, and then at the start of your next turn, the left timber is going to steal that freeze, and the right timber steals the freeze, and it just goes back and forth, infinite buff. But they they yeah, steal they the freeze, move. and they never move. Yeah, but that's like OP, because now they don't <laughs> move, so it's like they're stuck there forever on the board. <laughs> I don't know. Right. You play that to block you on your one row out from your baseline. You block the two center columns, and they just stand there and go. Couldn't I go, just play bro. Temple Guardians? No, no, Temple Guardians are terrible. They block you from <laughs> you, advancing. You, you played this whole sequence of Timber with Freeze, and then the enemy plays Shivana. <laughs> I have a 44 health unit that's frozen. I'm just going to jev it. I love it. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to end the main portion of this episode, which means it's time for me to remind you, please contact us, preferably in our channel in the Stormbound Discord server, on Twitter, if you prefer, at Sages. And you can always email us at thebroodsages at gmail.com. This week we heard from Icecoma, who said, I like the episode. The Sabaiku with a cold joke was good. Oh, well, that's very good. Glad to hear that. And stellar commentary as always. He was probably referring to Reckless there. Uh, I'm going to pronounce this Sai, but I apologize if it is incorrect. I didn't realize it was Reckless that played as Sabaiku until the end of the video. <laughs> that was the joke, yeah. Uh, it it just seemed kind of like fun, and that's why we're doing it again today. Uh, and the amazing Azo says, Hi, Brood Sages. I have a topic that I would love to hear your input on in a future episode. A lot of players on Discord agree that the player who goes second in a match typically has an advantage in some game modes more than others. Player one is under more pressure to have a strong opening play, and if their initial cards don't allow for it, the game can feel like it's over before it even started. My suggestion pardon me. My suggestion to make things more fair for player one would be to give one extra mana on their following turn if they choose to forfeit their turn, so player one can choose not to play any cards on their three mana turn and then have five mana to spend on their next turn instead of four. They can also simply just play their three mana turn as normal. Other players have suggested things like giving player one a second card cycle in the first turn. Hmm. My question to you is, do you think this is something that Sheepyard should address in the game? And if so, what are your thoughts? Also, your show is always entertaining and insightful. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you for that, The Amazing Azo. Um, Going first versus going second is absolutely something that we debate all the time, uh, 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 whether or not we do it during our podcast or not. The Brood Sages, this is a topic that we're on top of quite a bit. Uh, So, Baiku... You want to give us a, a, a quick little primer? I, I think 
the big concern that that we have in terms of taking like a public position on this is just that we don't have the data but I don't know. What do you think? Oh, I, I don't have the data. I can give you my personal thoughts on it. Uh, I do think that the player going second has an advantage. Uh, in most ladder games, I think that it's not to such a degree that you need to uh, change the current system. I, I think the biggest disadvantage comes when you have a slower, heavier deck. Uh, you want to play something greedier and something more controlling, and you go first. It, it can feel bad, um, you know, especially if you're playing something like an Aaron level, uh, an Aaron deck, where you're trying specifically to get certain cards in your hand at a certain point, and it can going. Going second is a big advantage for that kind of deck. But for the most part, I think it, it, it's okay the way that it is on ladder. I do think that going first versus going second is highly amplified in brawls and uh, in draft. And the advantage is much larger in those game modes. Um, so if anything were to be done, that's where I would like like it to be seen. So Sabaika made a great point there, a memory that I did not want to even reminisce, but he's correct in saying the other game modes, specifically Brawl, going first is horrible. I hated, I've lost so many Brawl games over just going first, and then the enemy has that final turn with an additional mana to dish out some kind of damage on me, and then I just lose. Um, Very unfortunate, but... In terms of ranked, um, in terms of draft and ranked, I, I I feel like there's a bit of similarity over on um, over them. Uh, I definitely have found myself losing more games going first and going second. Um, this was a while back, a couple of years ago, where Shipyard actually mentioned that going second has a higher win rate than going first. I don't know if that's changed since then, but I have seen myself actually losing quite a few games going first over going second, and that's particularly because let's say you just don't get a good opener and what is a good opener at that mana three really um if you end up playing green prototypes first and the enemy can play their own green prototypes to counter yours i mean you're already in a really bad spot and that that one man advantage also accelerates their whole push and they maybe they hold frontline after that and now with the introduction of gray it makes it even harder to get a good mana three opener like what are you really supposed to do so there's like a lot of issues here i don't necessarily think giving one extra mana on the following turn would be a great idea because now it opens up some really messed up synergies like mana three let's say you have shivana and ice Burst, you just play some weird three mana turn then next turn you just shivana ice Burst, shivana and then now you're just like in super ahead and like at that point especially in equals meta i mean that would just destroy everything because shivana is already queen that sounds fantastic why are we against that because in the equals meta currently, uh, Shivana Icicleburst Mistwives is like the end all be all. Uh, that is the best deck to run. Um, if you're not running that deck, you're most likely going to lose if this is at the highest level of play. And then at that point, it just comes down to RNG of going second or, or going first and just getting those cards as soon as possible. I do agree with the mulligan, that extra second card cycle in the first turn. Um, even better, actually, what I would prefer is that we get one additional cycle that we can use any turn of the game we just get one additional temporary cycle that we can use at any point of the game this is almost like the coin from hearthstone you can choose to use it whenever you want i think that would be a really interesting factor um also there's also this huge downside of because we start at three mana and like the second turn is four mana this is really what pushes the meta insanely towards just a lower mana curve like this is why especially in heroes league all you see are like one, two, one, one, two, two, three, three, or like just very, very cheap cards. You don't really see like past eight, or past seven, past six, even sometimes um, decks. And that really kind of sucks because it drains a lot of the complexity and the creativity in the game. So, I mean, just changing that little aspect would obviously be a huge swing on meta changes. But what do you guys think? I know what ranted for quite a bit there. Oh, gosh. No, if, I... if you changed it so that the game started, say, on four and five mana instead of three and four mana? Would that kill Rush altogether? It's difficult to no. say. Um, From four to five, uh, I, I definitely think... Uh, so there are quite quite a few games that even going first and going like three mana and you you have a good opener, 
there's games where you still cannot finish the game quite as early as you want to and then you end up actually losing because of past like mana 10 specifically for my decks i'm talking about passing mana 10 you're already in a very big disadvantage because you have so much excess mana to to spare so if we started at four mana that would definitely change rush decks as a whole you can't really be running so many cheap cards so it definitely would change it it, can't really say it, down a lot. it. it would it slow, things, slow down things down so much and you know if your opponent is playing a a power combo like rain and bragda or even just a winter deck running a gift of the wise it gives you just one less turn that you have to survive it's it's huge yeah, that's, well, so that's what true. I was gonna say. Was was if you start at four and five instead of three and four, you've effectively you've effectively de-nerfed every mana nerf that's ever happened. It's like, oh, you know how we pushed Gift of the Wise to be later? Yeah, never mind. It's now earlier. Um, but but that being said, uh, it is still true that if you look at the amount of power per mana that you can put out. I cannot put out on four mana with a single card the equivalent power that I can put out with two one mana cards and a two mana card. Like I just right two Great. one mana cards that's five each. A two mana card is six. I cannot put out sixteen power with a four mana card. There just isn't one. Well, it's possible with gray and then getting the GP buff. I think that would be pretty interesting. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, but also. You know, uh, you can get a good later in the game, at least for four mana. You can get a good Edric turn, a good Witch's turn. Like there, there are definitely ways to recover from your opponent playing four, uh, you know, three or four small units, and the chances that you can cycle through to those and get those in your hand and have the mana to do something with it, like. They're, they're all so much more increased later in the game. And I think that, yeah, I, I think that I do think that going second, we've strayed a bit from a, a field uh, from the original question here, but I do think going second is an advantage. I'm not so sure that taking drastic steps like messing with the mana, either the starting mana like we were talking about or messing with the even additional mana manipulation that's temporary is is a good solution because it can definitely have unintended consequences. I, I do think it should be a goal of Sheepyards that the expected win rate going first or second is nearly 50%. Like, I don't know that you can ever get it exactly 50%, but it should be as dang close as you can physically make it happen. Um, uh, it's just... If you want people to queue into the game, they have to have a feeling like they have as good a chance to win as possible. And if you queue into a game and you immediately get a notification, any sort of notification, oh, hey, hi, you're behind the eight ball. Sorry about that. Like your your role in this situation is to provide a star for their climb. That doesn't feel great. And I don't think we're there. Like you can go first and win a lot. Uh, but it would feel better to know, A, what are the stats going first versus going second? And B, you know, what can be done to rectify them if they are disparate? Um, until we know for a, sh for, for a fact that they're disparate, I don't think I want to call out some sort of demand on any change. Because I don't know if it's, look, if it's if it's 51.1 versus 49.9, I don't know or pardon me, 50.1 versus 49.9. Are, are we really like all up in arms about it? Um, some some of the, oh, this feels bad kind of moments, I think come from potentially some of the, the just discussions on Discord or Reddit or wherever. We're like, oh, going first is that bad. I don't know. There, there are definitely cards that can help you turn a, a game around. Hunter's Vengeance comes to mind. Uh, Void Surgers comes to mind. Gray comes to mind. Um, is it, are we sure that it's that bad yet? I don't know. If it is that bad, then yes, I do think that, that something should be done. Um, but until we know for sure, I don't know. I, I, I lose so many games as it is. It's just so hard for me to tell. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode for Sabaiku and, uh, Thomas slash reckless. I am freeloader. We are the brood sages reminding you to stay hydrated.